Welcome to the War Room Podcast. It has been days, weeks, and months since we've seen any live sports due to the COVID pandemic. But we're back, and we are going to talk about the history of some of the uh, of the last decade when we're looking at the NBA and the NHL. Adam, how have you been doing, man? It's been a long time. I've been time. good. It's been a long time. Four months of no sports. Zero, zero sports. Yeah, I, I've <laughs> never missed it. I've never missed it so much. Usually I'm depressed, you know, after the Leafs lose in the playoffs. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I think, hey, I'm not going to watch anything for a long time. Get but caught up just in a the bit. Cravings. But, the cravings. Of yeah, it. Four, four months. I mean, this has been a bunch of insane nonsense. Anyways. At the same time, we get six games a day, seven games a day, yeah, eight games a day. This is, this is Christmas come early. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are going to look today at historic data uh, because obviously we haven't had any live sports to keep up with this year, <laughs> or at least for the last uh, four months. So I'm going to look at them at the last four playoffs and regular seasons, not including 2019-2020, uh, and the difference between how teams perform in the playoffs versus how they perform in the regular season. Uh, looking at some of our advanced data, most notably um, expected goals for, high danger chances for, and scoring chances for. <clears throat> and then I'm looking at a couple of, of other stats. So one is a luck stat, that's a PDO, so that's your shooting percentage plus save percentage. And the other one, I'm kind of saying this is where goalies could steal games, is a high danger save percentage. Looking at that stat, again, in the context of regular season and then in the context of the playoffs. Yeah. And we'll um, talk about it this episode, how like you can, it's hard to differentiate those stats as luck stats or skill stats, but we'll talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult, but I know you, uh, you collected some data for the NBA. What are we going to be looking at there? So I'll, I just collected data for a long time, 10 seasons worth of game-by-game shooting percentage, regular field goal and three-point percentage, and we're looking at the variance of it. The reason I'm doing that is because recently especially when we talk about teams that are going towards more of a three-point shooting game plan, specifically the Houston Rockets. Um, People talk about them as being a high-variance team. So a team that on one given night can look a certain way and another night look completely different, right? And then people argue whether this strategy, this style of play actually helps you succeed. So we'll look at that and maybe debunk it, actually. Yeah, I think people think of the Rockets almost like a, like a football team that goes into shotgun every single play, it yeah. feels like. You know, like they're... Which, I mean, I think the it... NFL has... I mean, this is going against... I mean, not against, but this is not... In the same sports that we're looking at, passing is, is the way to go now in the, in the NFL, right? So maybe that is a strategy that works that was criticized heavily in the past right yeah maybe anecdotally so um which i bet is the case i mean for for houston they've been criticizing them nonstop for like three years now but they still seem to be right in the thick of things in the west now they haven't won yet you know like uh you know the movie moneyball for example oakland hasn't actually won yet uh since you know adopting the the analytic strategy but they have definitely overperformed uh oh definitely in, yeah. in leagues where there are teams that can pay, you know, five, six times as much money to players that those small market teams can pay. But let's start with the NHL. So, like I said, I looked over the last 
four seasons. So your Stanley Cup winners were Pittsburgh in 2016, Pittsburgh again in 2017, Washington, they finally get over the hump in 2018, and St. Louis, who also, in a sense, get over the hump in 2019. So what did I find? Uh, now, I should justify this a bit. The reason I looked is, you know, at the stats that I looked at, so it's expected goals for scoring chances and high danger chances, is because, in my opinion, these stats are the best numbers for tell us or the the best numbers for telling us what quality shots the teams get. Yeah. And and Um, in essence, they tell you, hey, how how their strategy works in the end. Right. The more you produce, probably the better chance of winning you have. Right. Yeah, if if you know in baseball we've heard if if you're trying to get runs to get wins in hockey you're trying to get goals to yeah. get wins. So looking at the quality of shots, basically, relatively speaking, anyways, I, I, at first I looked at the percentages and I thought, okay, there's very small variance or differences between even you know the first place team and the last place team. Uh, the percentages are very thin. Hockey as a high parity, there's no question about that. Yeah. So I thought, you know, looking at ranking relative to the other teams would be a better, a better pull. So I broke it down even further and looked at the top four playoff teams, which is to say that the final four every year uh, and looked at how they ranked during the regular season relative to the rest of the playoff field. I took out all the teams that didn't make the playoffs because I thought, Hey, if, they, if you don't make the playoffs, you don't, it's not, you know, the, it's not as good a comparison. You basically are going against the top you know, 16 teams within yeah, the playoff yeah, field. Yeah. So generally speaking, something like 83, something like between 67 to 83% of the time, uh, the top four playoff teams are ranking higher than the rest of the field in high danger chances, scoring chances, and expected goals for routinely. Um, now this flattens out during the playoffs. Uh, let's just make that clear to everybody. Yeah. When the playoffs start, the teams they the the, the lower seeded teams, let's say, uh, they start playing much much better, and the higher seeded teams continue to play well, but the play flattens out. So the percentages tend to become fifty fifty. And that could be the case. Could be that they're just facing harder competition, right? Exactly. Because now, and on top of that, you're playing a seven game series with one team. Yeah. Game so, plans you know, and everything have to come through as well. Yeah. Rarely, even, you know, famously Tampa got swept last year. Uh, the margins were not huge. Uh, most of those games are essentially one goal games uh, between Tampa and Columbus. Um, so it was, it wasn't like a, a, you know, they didn't beat them five, nothing every game, <laughs> uh, but they did beat them in four straight, which was that for sure is an anomaly. I know we've heard that that's a small sample size, but it doesn't take a big sample size to get you kicked out of the playoffs. That's for sure. I mean, you could honestly ask yourself even, Hey, if Tampa Bay played four, seven game series against, um, the Columbus blue jackets, they'd probably win three out of those four. Yeah, I, I think that that's a safe bet to me. Yeah. Um, and again, so the funny part is in the high danger save percentage and PDO stats. So I'm calling PDO luck stats, but it's essentially like whether a team is able to execute or not, right? Like if they're able to convert those chances to goals, whether their goalies bail them out. It's one of the of only stats that we're looking at that actually rewards a goal right the other stats are exactly. all, are all like we could score the probability of scoring from that point or having a higher number means that you're probably going to win but this is an actual result stat yeah so so during the regular season the top teams 
in the last four years that made the final four in the playoffs. They have basically been average during the regular season for those two stats. So their goalies have been good, but okay, or, or okay. And their shooting percentages are again, okay. They're in the middle. They're in the mid tier as it comes to, uh, as it pertains to percentages. There's, you know, a couple of them finish higher, a couple of them finish lower. Basically, it's 50-50 in those stats. Unlike, okay. as we talked about before, expected goals for, scoring chances, and high danger chances for. Um, so now, translating that to the playoffs, you have the inverse, where across the board, the top four teams are in the higher echelon as it pertains to high danger save percentage, which means their goalies are playing extremely well. Not a shock. Um, and then... Uh, PDO, which is shooting percentage and save percentage, hundred percent of the time they are they are ahead of the field in those two stats. So that's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to people that the goalies are saving a lot of pucks and the players are scoring when they reach the final four. Um, my more the, the the deeper sort of line that I draw or try to draw is that there's clearly something I would say in in their regular season play that translates into the playoffs because those teams also uh, in, in terms of a pattern routinely do well in these important offensive stats. Now you could say there's some luck in there. Sure. That's definitely the case, but I don't think it's an accident that these uh, top four teams that make the semifinals and then the Stanley cup finals are at the top as it pertains to expected goals for scoring chances for and high danger chances for I think that in my mind, to some extent, Adam, I'd like to hear your feedback on it, is that that eliminates some of the perceived reality that luck plays a huge role in the playoffs. It's definitely plays some kind of role. However, um, good play, you know, putting yourself in a good position clearly also can lead to success because even though this flattens out in the playoffs, uh, clearly those good habits have been built up over time. The best analogy I draw to it is, you know, you're, you're in a hard course for a semester, you study all semester, and you're put yourself in a good position to do well in the final exam. Whereas, you know, if you slack off, if you're inconsistent, you may still do well in the final exam, but you'll have to get a little bit lucky. You'll have to cram sort of the last, you know, last night off. So you could have the case, like in a Tampa Bay situation, you play well the whole year, and you freeze, you choke when it comes to the playoffs. But that, like you said, you know, that won't continually happen. You won't get unlucky every single time. So anyways, what are your thoughts on it? Once you put yourself in a position to win, it doesn't mean that you will win. Right. But it, it it does probably over the long run work itself out. Right. So what you're talking about, you made that analogy to running an exam. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's people who would be perceived as geniuses that don't need to study but they'll still succeed, right? Yeah. They may not put themselves well. in the proper position. And we actually referred to, I don't want to say that he's, he doesn't put himself in the proper position to succeed, but someone like Austin Matthews, right? We mm-hmm. looked in one of his episodes, one of our episodes about uh, expected goals for, and he had a relatively low expected goals for compared to the number of goals he actually scores, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can say that, oh, he doesn't put himself in, position to score many goals or it just means that when he's in positions that typically a player wouldn't be able to score a goal from he's so talented that he can score from there so That's sure right. when we're looking at the whole broad idea of a whole team doing it for consecutive games it's unlikely that they're going to be able to rely on this sort of skill to get through 
Whereas a team that sets themselves up by having high expected goals for, high danger chances for, uh, high, high levels of high danger chances for, they, over the long run, don't need to rely so much on typical skill. Although, it's we're not actually talking about, hey, does skill drive these numbers to go up as well? Because that's mm-hmm. another argument altogether. But these teams, regardless, they don't rely on skill as much as they rely on their game plan. And I think over the total history of the league, we can see that teams that rely on discipline, good game plan are the ones that win, right? That's right. And again, it's, it's quality shots. So here's a fun anecdote that has actually been true in the data for a long time. This is not a huge debate or, or massively debatable or anything like that, but it's good to note that going to the net, getting net front traffic, shooting near the net or being in front of the net and trying to score, getting to the net, that anecdote is reflected in expected goals for, and, you know, and in chances in general, right? Uh, one of the things that I love is that uh, William Nylander, uh, has had had a really good year by his standards. Not an outstanding year, but a very good year. Like he he performed at least what his contract was worth, or uh, even exceeded you, it in some people's views. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, in, yeah. in my view, in my view, he's, it's a it's it's good deal. It's solid money. I don't know why the the negotiations took so long in the end, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we we talked about this. If you know, when we were actually recording the podcast pretty early on before that performance actually hit. So he was having an okay season in the first 15 games, I think, uh, while uh, Mike Babcock was still coaching. And uh, he wasn't getting tons of points, but he was he was doing okay in terms of the actual production. But you pointed out, because I thought he was playing way better, just from looking at it, and you talked about, hey, he's top three on the team and expected goals for and I thought, hey, okay, that means he's clearly getting to the tough areas. And you know what? Uh, two months later, TSN are doing bits about, hey, you know, William Nylander is doing so well. Look at where he's scoring from. And it turned out that he's scoring from the front of the net very often. He's putting himself in the tough positions. The places that you plan to be, right? The places exactly. that you plan to be to score goals. And he had been doing it all year, and it, uh, or he'd been doing it at least at the beginning, and he stuck with it. Um, and that's, you know, that paid off for him in the end. Yeah, because he's on pace how, for then, a 30-goal season, right? And, and that's right. And, and looking at the last four years, you know, you, you have an 82-game season sample size for uh, the teams, and then you have, obviously, uh, a, a variable sample size for the playoffs, depending on, you know, how well teams do. But for me, having that habit, which to me is like studying all term for the final exam, uh, is a very good indicator of how well a team will do in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I should say, too, that even though the uh, stats flatten out for the teams overall, it's still like the, the top teams are still near the top in the playoffs in these stats. They're not always there because like a team that gets bounced in seven games but has really good advanced stats might overtake them because they have a smaller sample size and therefore there's higher variance. Um, but overall, they, they still do well. It's not like uh, there's a the, it's not that the inverse is true. Right. Yeah. They don't suddenly all drop out of the sky. It's just that overall they flatten out. So I was I'm very interested to see that uh, also because I think teams think that just getting a lot of shots like I'll tell you here's where the anecdote drops, which is where, you know, just get to the puck to the net. That anecdote does not hold up so well. Getting to the front of the net to score. I think that one does hold up very well in the stats. 
uh, just throwing the puck at the net, that doesn't help. You know, you always get examples like someone scoring from center ice is some kind of justification for, hey, look, <laughs> hey, you never, yeah. you never know what happens, right? You just throw the puck at the net or like, you know, it bounces off someone's knee randomly or hits the end boards weird or something like that and comes out. It's like, hey, you get the puck to the net, you'll score. It's not untrue that there's a chance the puck might go in. But you can always uh, but, generate a better chance, right? Exactly. So the focus of these stats and the focus overall of the teams is getting quality shots. Yeah. Um, uh, a team that's done this well, I would call them the analytics darling of the NHL, at least for the past couple of years, uh, is the Carolina Hurricanes. And uh, they have been guilty of just throwing everything at the net for the past, you know, before these last last season and the season before. Uh, they've been getting a lot of shots. They're constantly high in Corsi 4, constantly high in, in all these stats. But their quality of shots was not very good. Uh, <laughs> they've improved on that because they don't have, you know, they're a small market team. Yeah, they don't right? have that uh, one transcendent talent, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, they have maybe, great, but like not. Yeah. Not. And even then, he, he's getting paid eight mil a year. Right. Um, yeah. Which relative to some of the other superstars is nothing. <clears throat> uh, but he's getting but he's getting paid eight mil a year and he's probably their best player. Him and, and perhaps uh, Dougie Hamilton, their defenseman. But they have improved massively in expected goals for and scoring chances and high danger chances. They're taking better shots now than they ever have. Now, they aren't as talented a team in terms of just high-end skill, but it's it's generating results for them. I mean, they, they made the conference finals last year. Yeah, and last um, year they led the NHL in expected goals for, right? So Exactly, I mean... yeah. So they, you know, for me, it's a clear example of... of Obviously, the coaching staff have done a great job there, but it's a clear example of of relying on the data to drive that strategy, uh, and it's turned into success for them. Uh, at the moment of our recording, they actually just beat the Rangers three uh, two, um, and again, uh, they were doing very well in a couple of these stats. They actually the Rangers took some really good quality shots, which is why they stayed in the game. Uh, but overall, Carolina was dominating them. So, but anyways, that's the last four years. I'm willing to bet a team that can be consistent, uh, and I'm sure you'll bring that up here with the Rockets in a second, a team that's been consistent in terms of getting to the front of the net, taking good quality shots, not just throwing it blindly, that's a team that's going to be successful. The PDO and high danger save percentage goes without saying. You need a goalie who can get you a couple of big saves. Uh, you need your team to convert on high, uh, high, high quality scoring chances. Um, but you need to actually put yourself – in position to get those chances so teams that do that tend to do better and i think expected goals for and high or at the least for... the least we can say is that teams who do that tend to not be bad right exactly they may not win exactly. but they tend to not be bad they put themselves in positions to win yeah uh, they they study they study throughout the term <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> yeah all right but Moving on now to the NBA, because I really I, I'd love to hear what you think about Houston. They're at the forefront of analytics because funnily enough, though, anecdotally, everyone thinks, as you mentioned, that they are a high variance team, that they do things very differently game to game. It's actually the opposite, isn't it? It may as well be. Just like you were saying in the, in the NHL, how teams put themselves in positions to win, right? So the idea that if you have a game plan that you stick to and you don't vary off that game plan too much. You put yourself in a good position to win. And people say, Oh, the Houston Rockets, they play the style of basketball that one could call highly variant. Hey, if you'd live and die by the three, it's the saying live and die by the three, right? Mm -hmm. um, you may not succeed. 
and people point to the fact that they haven't had what they call playoff success, although I beg to differ on that point of view. Right, right. I recorded for the past 10 seasons uh, stats about the game-to-game variance of shooting percentage. So what I mean by that is I looked at every game they play in the 82-game season, looked at the field goal percentage and the three-point percentage, and I found the variance of how much that changed game-to-game, right? Actually, can you... uh... Sorry. Can you define? Can you define variance? Actually, I just want to make it like. As so what I mean by variance—it's a little mathematical, mm-hmm. but um, so throughout the season they average some field goal percentage. Let's say a team averages fifty percent field goal percentage, right? Yeah. Game by game. So every game, if you just take all their games, take the field goal percentages, and then just average them out, you'll get mm-hmm. their actual game by game field goal percentage. And let's say that percentage is fifty percent. Mm-hmm. And you do the same thing using a formula. There's a formula for it. You can find something called the variance, right? And right. with some conditions implied, this variance just tells you the spread, right? So mm-hmm. how much you shift away from that middle ground. So if you shoot 50%, is your game-by-game average? If your variance is high, that means that you might shoot, there's a good chance you'll shoot 30% one game, and there's a good chance you'll shoot 70% one game. And it just fluctuates very widely. If you have a right, small right. variance, that means you're going to stay around that field goal percentage or three-point percentage, and you tend to be stuck around that number. Right. So, so if uh, you, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so if you win, let's say you shoot 50%, you win a game 120, 112, and then the next game you shoot 37% and you lose you know, 90 to 115 or whatever, uh, that's that the, the 13% there, that spread, that's high. That's a high variance, right? That's Basically. I would consider that a high variance. Yeah. That's right. Right. Sorry, so, I just asked to clarify so it's it's clear in my head completely. I, I I knew what it meant, but I just wanted to make sure I understood it properly. That's good for anyone listening, mm-hmm. like what we mean by these uh, these ideas. So uh, just a hypothesis that one would have is that good teams tend to have low variance. They tend to be good mm-hmm. and they stay good, right? I mean, right. especially apparent in basketball where a good team wins a lot of games, right? So you would assume a good team to have a good field goal percentage and small variance. Whereas you also mm-hmm. may consider a bad team to have a bad field goal percentage and also small variance as well because they consistently lose. It's not like they're going to go on a crazy win streak and then go back to earth again, right? right but it's right. that those middling teams, those teams that are somewhere around 500, maybe a little bit below 500, that you would expect them to have some variance because they would beat up on terrible teams and then they would lose against great teams. So they would swing, right? Their shooting percentage would swing back and forth. But ideally, the optimum is to have low variance and a good team, right? And that should tell you your success. Right. So what what I found is that early on, you can actually see this trend of especially three-point percentages, the variance shrinking over time. So back when the league was not so much in their live-by-the-three, die-by-the-three era, so the 2010 season, the variance on three-point shots were was absolutely asinine. Uh, you would have a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, <laughs> a, a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, remember the grid and grind mm-hmm. era? Their yeah. variance on three-point shooting was just incredibly high mainly due to the fact that they probably didn't take a lot of three-point shots 
And obviously this comes to the point in variance will go towards what it's supposed to be the more shots you get, like the sample size increases. So as the NBA started to evolve, we see the variance and everybody's three-point shooting go down. I don't even know how many fold, four-fold, five-fold since 2010. And an interesting case is the Houston Rockets. So the Houston Rockets, pre-2017, 2018 season, they had, they didn't live by this three-point strategy entirely, right? They, they had yeah. pretty good shooting percentages, and their variance was kind of middle of the pack, right? So you would say that mm-hmm. game by game, they would shoot well, and then maybe they may not shoot well. But once they switched to the strategy of live by the three, die by the three, their variance and shooting percentage sunk to the bottom of the league. So they had, in the 2017-2018 season, um, they had the lowest three-point shooting variance. So what that means is that they shot a percentage, they shot a a certain three-point percentage, which I don't remember where it ranked in the league, but I don't think it was terribly bad. Uh, Let Mm -hmm. me just see for a second. It was middle of the pack, maybe slightly above average three-point percentage, but their variance was the lowest in the NBA, meaning that they shot around 36%. And not only did they shoot around 36%, they shot around 36% every single game. Right. Which just tells you that they took a lot of shots and they shot at a good clip every single game, putting themselves in a position to win. And that season, I think they won 65 games. So you can say that that actually went through whereas a team like the golden state warriors who won the championship that year they had a much higher three-point percentage i think it was number one in the nba that season at around 30 looks like 37 38 percent this is game by game average i'm not saying over the entire season but game by game average they shot around 37 percent per game right but their variance right was somewhere in the middle of the pack right so they were a lot mm-hmm. more you may not be able to rely on their three-point shooting every single game and you saw in their record, they I think they won 58 games that year, from what I remember. So, like, just regular season success, you see that Houston strategy seems to work. 2017-2018 uh, season, they had the lowest variance. 2018-2019 season, they had the lowest variance again. Um, and this current season, they didn't have the lowest variance, but it was amongst the lowest variance, uh, game by game, right. point shooting percentage. So what that tells you is, hey, they were able to succeed – by being extremely consistent in their three-point shooting. So it wasn't really live by or die by the three-pointer. It was more live by the three-pointer and be exceptionally consistent and succeed with the three-pointer. Right. I mean, I can give you two words, which is a name, <laughs> for why their variance wasn't at the at the top, uh, why they why they weren't the lowest variance this year? <laughs> Can you guess? Can you uh, guess? I'm guessing his number his number has a zero in it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because honestly, you take him out, I bet you they're again the lowest variance team. Oh yeah, overall. because I mean he's a terrible three point shooter and a team just filled with great three point shooters. I know. Actually, as we were recording this last night, was the most nonsense, awesome, insane game between them and the Mavericks. Uh, that FYI went to overtime and was 152, one, 153, 149, I think, Houston. I may be wrong. I think they won by five. Final score. What I, uh, what I saw. Um, yeah, or four. Yeah. But my gosh, this is like, this was run and gun, just crazy offense. Now, 
Uh, I don't think teams are going to be that open uh, for the whole, you know, for this whole uh, end of season into playoffs sort of uh, game. But my gosh, man, I was amazed at just how quick it wasn't just like they were scoring at will. They were also taking shots like seven seconds into the shot clock. Uh, which is, I, I was going to ask you just your opinion on is that to me, anyways, it looks like Houston has changed up their strategy a bit instead of uh, Harden sort of dominating the ball for, you know, 15 to 16 seconds for a possession. Uh, if they're open, they're flinging it. It's gone. And I think let, that's let, what their, their new strategy is, especially after losing Clint Capella. So I, I was looking, mm. I, I'm not going to be entirely correct on this, but I'm pretty sure two years ago when they had Chris Paul, James Harden and Clint Capella, they were number one in the league in pick and rolls. So it would be right. either Chris Paul or James Harden handling the ball at the high, the point, at the, like the high point. And then you would mm-hmm. have uh, Clint Capella set a high screen for them. And then you'd have James Harden either driving, dishing the ball to Capella or driving, kicking, right? It was one of those three options. Chris Paul and James mm-hmm. Harden both just swapped on that. And so they would take yeah. up obviously a ton of shot clock to do that but now yeah this season i think maybe at the end of last season but definitely this season they were amongst the league the bottom of the league in pick and roll attempts so they stopped they killed the pick and roll and they were just like yeah hey, why don't we just focus on a three-point game and all we do is just we just op- find the open shooter and take that three-point shot yeah i i was gonna say i think capella led the league in alley-oops um for probably the past little like, while actually yeah yeah for the last because so often they would, they, that would be an easy play because Harden would drive to the net. If they switched over to him, he would just lob it. And it would be a short lob every single time. It wasn't like some crazy pass to Capella who would finish it. Yeah. Um, I do think, uh, I know you and I have talked about this before, uh, if they had stuck to their guns um, from last year or the year before, uh, they probably would have, I, I think they would have done even better. Now, they're doing fine and they're, Still, they're going to be in the mix. They're going to have a good shot. But uh, the thing I think that will kill them is potentially anyways is rebounding. Oh, is the offensive rebounding, Um, which we saw yesterday. If anyone watched the game against Dallas, uh, near the end of the game, even though they did catch up, I was noticing a lot of offensive rebounding going on in Mm -hmm. Dallas' side, which obviously that's that's to be expected, right? They have nobody on the team above 6'9". So, yeah, yeah, because like this is I know we're not a huge fan of using this word for this, but they were kind of lucky to tie that game last (laughs) night. Just just to be clear, I don't know what happened to Dallas on the defensive rebounding side uh, at the end of the game um, where Covington is the one who tipped it back to tie the game up. But But, just like we've been saying this whole time, you put yourself in a position to win, right? That's Yeah, which is is what they did. They're going to be again another year. They're going to be very interesting team to see how they perform because if they get to the finals uh i think that would be you know that that would be monumental because now this is a team that's really trying something different it's not just they're just jacking up threes you know or they're either hitting a three or getting an easy layup uh now they they've taken out they've basically taken out this a center from their lineup (laughs) right there's no there's no center on the team um and i did Honestly, rebounding uh, the offensive side, meaning their own defensive rebounding, and then obviously their containment of big men. Now, what's great about that and what feeds into their strategy is, hey, uh, if we take a three and you take a two, eventually we're going to beat you. (laughs) 
and right, uh, and that's what they're relying on. The exactly, because I mean that's what the Warriors did, by the way, with with Capella in 2018, I think. Uh, game seven, they're up. Uh, like the Warriors were up in the fourth quarter, they started fouling Capella off the ball, sending him to the line. He'd he'd get like one out of his two free. Uh, and then the Warriors would come down and score a, th- a three or a two, and they're like, "Sure, we'll we'll give you two free throws for free." Uh, and then we're just going to outscore you the rest. Of the rest and of maybe the game, that went to decision making on trading Clint Capella and going with a small ball lineup. That I think their idea was if everyone on our team can score more than what one point one point per possession, we're in a better position to succeed, right? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting because I think, I uh, I mean D'Antoni for sure. It sounds like his last year if they don't win anything. Um. And Maury, Daryl Maury, their GM, has clearly gotten something right. But do they have enough patience? That would be my – does ownership have enough patience? Because if they had, they really didn't have to blow up the team quite the way they have. Um, but that being said, if they win, it, it, you know, the, that point doesn't matter. Um, yeah. I'm really interested to see. I honestly think the Raps, too, getting back to our, our, so, favorite, yeah. our favorite team. So I wanted to bring the Raptors up, actually, in this discussion. Good, good. Tell me. <laughs> so we're looking at this variance, right? So yep. I, I looked at both the three-point variance and the field goal percentage variance. And the Raptors are usually, at least in the past four seasons or so, they've been three seasons or so, they've been in the middle of the pack in three-point variance. So game by game, they would be in the middle of the league in terms of they're swinging three-point percentage. But the scary thing is, is that since Nick Nurse came, they've actually been amongst the league leaders in variance in standard field goal, field goal percentage game by game. So their field goal percentage would swing greatly game by game. Last year, they were probably in the top 10 for sure in field goal variance. So that's higher variance. Mm-hmm. And this year, they're last. They're mm-hmm. dead last in the NBA in field goal variance. So what that could point so to... Wait, wait, so they had the, high, the highest variance? They had the, the highest variance Sorry. in field goal percentage. Right. They're somewhere in the middle of the pack in three-point shooting variance, but their mm-hmm. regular field goal variance is very high. Right. So what that could mean is that I've heard that their record this year against teams below 500 is pretty good. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but it's something like 35-4 and four or right. some insane um, winning percentage. But their winning percentage mm-hmm. against teams above 500 is not very good. So what that means is that their field goal percentage, they tend to shoot really well against bad teams. Mm-hmm. And they tend to shoot very poorly against good teams. Which right. in, the, uh, in this playoffs seems like it's not a great idea. Whereas mm-hmm. I'll just give you the league leader in regular field goal percentage variance. It's the Lakers who have the smallest variance game by game. And the Milwaukee Bucks are, looks like number three in the NBA, three mm-hmm. or four top five team, whereas the Raptors are dead last. So right. I don't know what you think about that, but what would you be your take on the Raptors having the most variance on their field goal percentage? I think because they don't have a Kawhi Leonard anymore and remember too last year because you said they're in the bottom 10 last year as well right they were pretty low last year but not as low as they are this year yeah I mean last year too he missed a lot of games 
is when you don't necessarily have that go-to option, you have to really mix things up on the offensive side uh, because you have to have the other team guessing. So Nick Nurse is famous for trying new things, and I think that is really what it is a reflection of. Um, He did the same thing even with Kawhi here. Uh, whether it's on, you know, it's famously on defense where, you know, we play box and one, we play three, two, we play two, three zone. Uh, we suddenly switch to man to man, like stuff like that. He he constantly does on defense. I, I think it's great. I don't know why it's considered revolutionary insofar that why teams <laughs> yeah. haven't been trying these things is, is a shock to me. He's trying zone in a three point era. <laughs> right. Um, but anyways, uh, I think similarly on offense, what he's done is especially when they play tough teams is try a lot of different things. Now over the course of the season, that may not work. Uh, like I remember they had a game against Miami where they scored something like 70, 76 points. Oh, I their think. lowest scoring game of the season. Yeah. yeah, ugh. yeah. It was a it was bad game. Uh, it was a terrible game from both teams offensively. Actually Miami only had 80. They kept it close. Like it was 84, 77. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something like that. Um, but it was a terrible offensive game, but Basically, what I'm saying is in the playoffs, he he works, he he does the same thing. He will experiment and try once he finds something that works. And then it's up to, a, you know, a Mike Budenholzer to try to figure it out. It's up to Steve Kerr to try to figure it out. Uh, it's up to the other. So he may yeah. he's just someone I think who is not satisfied with the status quo if it is not working. Once it's working, then it becomes the job of the other team to try to, to figure that out and beat it. So maybe here's uh, what we I can th- say, right? These great teams, mm-hmm. they put themselves in a position to win, right? So they do these certain mm-hmm. things that help them win. So like we said in the NHL, they have a lot of high danger chances. They have high expected goals for. In the NBA, they tend to have a strategy which minimizes the variance of the shooting. But it's these teams that are trying to beat these great teams, these middle of the pack teams that might have to change their strategy to deal with these types of game plans. Right. So maybe it is Toronto, right. Nick nurse rolling out these strategies that may be highly variant, but it's the only way that they can defeat these great teams with great game plans or in the NHL, it's maybe having a different strategy, which may, may result in lower expected goals for or or high danger chances but also throws the other team off their rhythm right yeah for sure i i think i mean if the if the data tells us anything is that if you're if you're winning then a lot of that data may be consistent that's fine yeah. but if you're in a team or if you're in a league like the nhl where the parity is so high or you're a, a team like the raptors where you don't have the you know superstar game-breaking talent even though you do have stars oh you do say that they're not they're not bereft of stars but they don't have that you know top five kind of player but they are a top team they don't have a Harden. they don't have a uh you know a a lebron obviously or an anthony davis actually i was gonna tell you i watched the lakers clippers game the other night Uh, they were the first they were on the opening day uh i honestly think anthony davis davis might even be more valuable to the oh, Lakers. He's, than he's definitely maybe their I'm, X factor, maybe, especially against the Clippers. As I say, may, maybe I'm wrong about it, but but I I really feel like he is the like 
is going to take the Lakers far. If he doesn't do well, they're not going to go very far. Even though LeBron is great and he's amazing and all that, I actually think he's the, like you said, he's the X factor in there. Um, anyways, look, it's been great to get back. I'm so excited for the playoffs to start. Um, you know, the NBA, it's going to be another Two weeks, you know, yeah. couple yeah. of weeks. The NHL before, is today. Yeah, before their playoffs actually start. Yeah, today's a qualifying round. The Leafs are playing tomorrow. Uh, goalies, right? go. And the Rafters yeah, are playing please. tonight. Yeah. Against the LA Lakers. So that'll yeah, be a good the Lakers test. tonight. Yeah, excited for that. Uh, yeah, they have a terrible know, schedule, yeah. by the way. The Raptors, they, I think they, they have like a, one of the worst schedules. <laughs> but they're lucky. Let's just say they're lucky. It's like they don't want Canada to win again. That's what luck is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, for the Raps, they just can't finish fourth. That's it. They yeah, finish second or third. I think they'll have a good shot at getting to the conference final. But at this point, so early, you do not want to face the Bucks. In oh, that's two. for sure. I think that's that might sure. be a little bit tougher for them. Uh, but round three, I think the Raps could take them. I don't know why. I just think that they need enough games <laughs> under their belt uh, for them to really have a go at it. Yeah, at a team and they're going to be a competitive team. So Anyways, super excited. The NBA is back. Uh, you're going to see I, – I bet you're going to see some sloppy play, some struggle here and there, maybe tons of offense. Uh, things are just getting started as the teams sort of get back into it. In the NHL, I've already seen it. I guarantee you – there's going to be a ton of sloppy play. Guys deking around other guys. Guys making dumb mistakes. Seen it already, but I'm super excited. Sports is back. Uh, and let's enjoy it. Thank you, guys.